All right, we're here. Welcome to episode 33 of Versus Mike History. I'm your host, Michael History. Be sure to like, follow, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you choose to listen. And if we are on your preferred platform, let us know and we'll do our best to change that. You can stay up to date on Versus Mike History by signing up for our newsletter and find any further information at versusmikehistory.com. Oh, you know about that? Tell me what you know about that. Tell me what you think about that. The prison industrial complex is a system situated at the intersection of government and private interests. It uses prisons as a solution to social, political, and economic problems. It includes human rights violations, the death penalty, slave labor, policing, courts, the media, political prisoners, and the elimination of dissent. Nigga, did you just say what I was trying to say, but smarter? I'm doing anything, carbon fiber frame on the bike, cost five G's. Don't check me, little nigga, check your hygiene. 2015, trips to the Philippines. When I touched my first million dollars, didn't announce that. On the phone with Herman Miller asking where the couch at. Why these niggas always got my name where they mouth at? Passing through Vacaville, took it to the outlet. Love, you gotta work your way up to get that real bag. Macking on the bitch, white tea in the hydro flash. Duffel bag with the name tag filled with hella cash. 100 grand all blue slime. Yeah. House in Atlanta bought that nigga all cash tax right off for yeah. you niggas that don't understand. I'll be out the way. Yo, 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 what's good, family? We back again. Back for back since I don't know what I'm saying, but we back. <laughs> um I took off last week because I took a little vacation. I took my talents to Seattle for the weekend. I decided to get out of Jersey and see the world for a little bit just because I needed to get away for a bit, you know, clear my mind. And, you know, I was supposed to go somewhere for my birthday and I didn't do that. And that was the sum of what inspired my trip to Seattle. And I'll get into that a little bit later on the episode, but we got some shit to get into before that. All right, as always, we're going to lead with love. I only got a couple shout outs. Um, I'm going to give a shout out to Beatrice for the lovely stay. Uh, thank you for that in Seattle. Well, I'll get into that in a few. Um, I want to give a shout out to the owner of Pedal Anywhere for giving me transportation during my trip in Seattle as well. Um, Seattle is a big biking city, so it's, um, it's really important that like... I had a means of transportation while I was out there because I didn't want to rent a car or anything. And it wasn't necessary at all. And I want to give a shout out to The Reef and The Pot Shop, um, two dispensaries out in Seattle who uh, hooked me up for my stay and, um, you know, showed me what was the fire out there. So shout out to you guys. And yeah, so let's get into our topics for the episode. Um, I'm leading with black excellence this week. I want to start with uh, congratulating Killer Mike on launching his um, black owned bank that's called Greenwood. It's an um, online banking account that, um, you know, black folks can use to keep the money circulating within our own community. And in the first 24 hours of its launch, it has received tens of thousands of of requests. So shout out to Killer Mike doing the work of the people. Um, I've been dealing with banks 
as of recently for like a couple of weeks, just opening business bank accounts and trying to get my business credit right and stuff like that. And I've been trying to figure out a way, not figure out a way, but I've been trying to keep the money within the community, which by that, I mean, uh, I've been trying to bank black and this hasn't been an issue at all. It's just about, um, convenience and what the, the type of fees that come with, um, these accounts, because at the end of the day, banking is still banking. Um, it can still be very predatory, but when you know you're dealing with people within your own community, it lessens the risk that you are going to be put in a position where you're going to be cheated out of your money, uh, by the institution. So yeah, I suggest everyone to bank black. If you're opening a business account for your black business, go to a black business. I mean, go to a black bank because they'll probably be more friendly or more helpful for your business. And yeah, doing that, like I said before, keeps the money within the community. And we need a lot of that. We damn sure need a lot of that. But moving on, uh, we're going to get into some new music. So I had the luxury of listening to a ton of new music while I was in Seattle because my trip started on Friday, um, the last Friday, not this past Friday. And um, it was it was great. Um, my soundtrack for the trip was great. You know, we got a new Benita Butcher single. We got West Side Guns new album. We got Trey Song's album. We got, um, what else did we get? We got, uh, I didn't talk about Anniversary since the Bryson episode, but um, that dropped as well. And that was in rotation a lot. And I think that, oh, and um, Savage Mode 2 dropped and Giveon dropped an EP. So it's safe to say that my weekend definitely had an ilk soundtrack. Um, yeah, it all those projects sound great, by the way. Um, I'll, I guess I'll start with, um, with West Side Guns album because that's probably what I spun the most. Um, so West Side Gun released his debut album and it is called Who Made the Sunshine, uh, released on Griselda Records, of course. That album is fire. Um, these, these Griselda guys, I, I feel like I'm, uh, a talking box repeat myself over and over and over again but these Griselda guys are just built different like they have molded the industry to their liking um they're getting to the point where they can work with the mainstream artists that the mainstream artists that they choose uh which include veterans might I add who give them the utmost respect and um I think that's very admirable especially for newer acts in music and um they stay true to the boom bap sound which i love um and you know it's not necessarily even though it may feel like biting to some or a homo an homage to others i think that they keep their sound pretty original they use original producers for their albums Dar shout out to derringer um and shout out to other, the other Griselda producers. I just can't, you guys' names aren't at the top of my head right now, but shout out to you guys. Um, 
And this whole ecosystem of artists within Griselda, meaning Conway, Westside Gun, Benny the Butcher, Boldy James, uh, Armani Caesar, um, uh, there's somebody else that I'm thinking of that I can't even, whose name isn't coming to my mind right now. But yeah, these guys are immaculate. But let me get back to the album. Um, I think my favorite cut off the album is going to be Ocean Prime, and that's featuring Rick Ross and Busta Rhymes. Um, anything Busta Rhymes related is pretty much a guaranteed success with me because I I love Busta Rhymes, and I feel like he's overlooked. I also love Ishka Bibbles. Uh, featuring Black Thought because Black Thought is a wordsmith and a lyrical god and um, I'll say it again because it's the truth and I like The Butcher and the Blade which is uh, the second track on the album and that's um, West Side Gun, Benny the Butcher and Conway the big three from Griselda and uh, you know oh shout out shout out to Stove Guy Cooks that's who I was thinking of earlier but um, yeah man like the album is really put to, really well put together. Their sound is advancing and growing by the moment. And these guys are just incomparable in terms of their ability to put words on a paper and put that to a track. So shout out to West Side Gun. And we're going to get into the Benny the Book. Now, Benny's album I heard before the Seattle trip because it actually leaked on Twitter. And... um. Benny is my favorite from Griselda, to be perfectly honest. I feel like he, I feel like they are consistently going neck and neck. And by they, I'm talking about um, Gun, Conway, and Butcher. But I feel like these guys are always going neck and neck in terms of who lyrically can be the best out of their crew. But for me personally, it's always been Benny. Benny. Uh, so he released his single. And the name of it is what? I'm sorry, y'all. I should have had this pulled up. But it um, it just released and it's called Timeless. It features Lil Wayne and I heard Benny's verse and I heard Wayne's verse before the song was actually released on Twitter. But the version that was actually put out onto digital streaming platforms was actually um, also featuring Big Sean. So out of the three of them, I definitely think that Benny had the best verse, um, which doesn't take away from anybody else's because Wayne was definitely a close second and Big Sean's verse wasn't ass either. It's just that, um, I don't know, you hear that that first leak and then you kind of get the verse burned into your head and you kind of already make the decision up about the song sometimes. And by the time... I heard Big Sean's verse, not to say it was ass, it was just that, like, Benny just opens the track so viciously that, uh, I don't know, you kind of just can't really take nothing away from that, even when you add on to the verses, and unless somebody's coming, somebody ain't coming to play, but the song Timeless is a great way to um, showcase how the album that we'll be getting from from Benny in this upcoming week, I believe. Um, and the album is produced executively by, or exclusively, by Hit Boy. And um, 
I think that that's amazing. You know what I mean? Like um, the other artists within the Griselda camp haven't chosen to make a decision such as this, but they clearly have the star power to reach out to and work with the artists that they choose. Well, not the artists, the producers that they choose to. And um, it just shows the progression of their talent. And I think that moving forward, we'll see a lot more Griselda. Uh, we'll hear a lot more Griselda music with high caliber producers. Moving on to Trey's album, though, um, that actually released this past week. And uh, I didn't have a chance to listen to it while I was in Seattle. But um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I was actually anticipating it for a while because I saw that Trey Songs had started to the process of rolling out a project earlier this year when he released that song Shooting Shots that had Tory Lanez and Ty Dolla Sign on it. And I um, I really liked that song and it made a couple playlists that I uh, created, but for myself, not for you guys. But um, it actually, that song actually didn't end up making the album. I don't know if it was for, you know, that other situation with Tory or not, but um, probably it came it probably comes down to um when that song was released just because it came out so far from the actual projected um not projected but from the actual release of the album and when they released that single it was probably projected to release way earlier because i see that atlantic is um kind of dropping off albums that they have uh had in a tuck for a while and that's one of the interesting things about this pandemic and everything, just to go off on a tangent really quickly, is just that we know that artists are working all year round. And uh, it's interesting to see these labels hold back their artists from releasing anything just to try to recoup the money that they were supposed to make back for the year and end up putting them all out at the same time towards the end of the year. So essentially thrusting us back into the type of release schedule that we were used to before COVID. So really nothing changed um, about music releases throughout COVID. It just changed. I think what changed mostly is um, how artists approach getting the bags uh, aside from their music bag. But yeah, um, Chase Song's album was good. Uh, really good. It's called Back Home. Go listen to it. And Giveon's album is definitely one that I had the chance to listen to while I was in Seattle. Um, this guy, he don't miss. And yes, his projects are considerably short. But when you go in three for three on your EP, um, there's not much to complain about. You know what I mean? Because there's been plenty of artists who release EPs and four, five, six track EPs. And then you got one or two songs that don't necessarily hit like that and for me personally it's like why even release an ep you can just release a single and ride that out and then release another single and then ride that out and yada 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 until you get up to the point where you feel comfortable enough releasing a project but to snap back uh Giveon's project with which is called drumroll please because i can't find the name of it it's called uh when it's all said and done and one of my favorite tracks from this project i'm gonna play a clip of is um his collaboration with the lovely 
um, Snow Allegra because I, I mean, I I love Snow. You know what I mean? And I don't listen to a ton of um, white artists, n- not discriminate or anything. Not that I have to explain that, but I just don't listen to white artists like that. And um, and Snow is one of the few that I enjoy thoroughly. So. And I especially like listening to R&B, so that's probably why. Um, but yeah, Snow is one of the one of the few exceptions within within our uh, within our culture who gets to dabble with our artists. And um, I think that the song that she has with Giveon is really dope. So I'm just gonna play a little bit. Of it. for the snow album um dying for your love is not too much of my speed but i don't hate the song at all i uh, i actually do like it it's just that i prefer more of i don't even know what i can what i could say to make it make sense but that speed or tempo of song even though she produces mostly slow slow music like that just wasn't for me uh so i'm waiting to hear the rest of the snow album Giveon. I am excited to see what type of artists and producers that he chooses to work with for his debut album. Um, That guy is really talented and kind of seemingly just came out of nowhere. Uh, And I don't like really saying that about artists because, you know, artists work really hard behind the scenes to get to the point that they are at. But I literally didn't hear about him until I found out that he was sampled on that Drake single that released um, earlier this year, the Chicago Freestyle. And seemingly, he released his project shortly after that song was released, and um, it did him super justice. And I love to see stuff come together like that. But um, yeah, that's pretty much my thoughts on Giveon's album, or Giveon's EP, rather. So go ahead and check that out. It's, um, it's, night, it's, it's nice late night vibes. So um, just know what you're getting into. Or if you're just an R&B connoisseur like me, listen to it whenever because you know niggas being a feelings and um i guess i'll end with ari lennox the lovely ari lennox hey ari um she released her single chocolate pomegranate um which i would assume is going to be on an upcoming album i saw her tweeting about it a little bit as well 
um, her soulful sound doesn't get old to me. Um, and I think that while her audience highly appreciated her debut album, it didn't get the critical response that it deserved. So seeing that she is working on her craft and reaching new heights and staying the talented woman that she is, um, is great to me because we need more artists like Ari Lennox, man, who care about vocals, who care about the artists of the past and emulating them and making sure that the legacy that they left behind is sort of emulated within our future. And Ari Lennox, uh, without a doubt, I would consider a soul artist because she sings from the soul. And, you know, I really connect with her music. Uh, and, and I don't think that it can be that can be said about a lot of other um, R&B artists that we current that currently occupy our space like personally. And this is just a personal opinion. And I don't want to sit here and dog people because that's not what this podcast is for by any means. But. I'm just not, and not to say I didn't like the song or I can't listen to it when it comes on, but it's something about that new LMA single that just doesn't hit with me. It seems like the concept of the song and the production don't really mesh well. I don't really want to harp on it for too long, but me personally, I'm not feeling it too much. LMA is a fantastic artist, a great singer. So shout out to her at the end of the day. But I don't know, man. And I think that's where I leave off music because I got a good amount of television to get into. So, yeah. Okay, so I got a good amount of TV to get into, actually. Um, contrary to how I usually come on the episode. But, um, yeah. So, let's get started. I have been watching Girlfriends on Netflix for a couple weeks now. Uh, I didn't really get into it immediately when everybody else got into it just because I don't like, uh, while I like watching things with the timeline series gets shaky because some people can literally just sit in their room and watch a show for hours and they'll be talking about season two and season four and season six all in the same day. And I'm still on the second season. So, um, Shout out to uh, Mara Barakakil for creating this fantastic show and for all the tidbits and um, things that you've shared about this series since it has been put back on Netflix. Uh, it's such a fantastically written comedy. Um, I like I wish I, I hope that people give it the attention that it deserves because um the show was ahead of its time, to be completely honest. It touched on topics that we were taboo, were definitely, that are definitely taboo now as um, a black community, and were taboo definitely when that show came out, which is the super early 2000s. And by early 2000s, I mean before 2010 for the youngins out there. But yeah, um, fan Girlfriends is fantastic. I'm loving the connection between these women and the dynamic um, dynamic relationships that they've been able to develop while working together on this series and they mesh together so well that um, you know there's very little 
to say critically about the series. Um, and it doesn't pander to white people, which is what I love about the series. It doesn't pander to white people in the slightest, not like how newer shows do or how newer shows sort of are like, oh, I'm black in a white space. It doesn't really do that. I mean, Joan has those issues within her law firm. But that isn't like the central identity of the show where it's like, this is a black, these are black people operating white spaces. And no, it's like, this is a small bubble of friends who are unapologetically black and come from different walks of life because Lynn is mixed. Maya works for Joan. Uh, William is a Republican. Tony is superficial. And, um, yeah man like it, it and joan is joan like she's insufferable with men uh that's just my personal opinion but she is a 29 year old junior partner at her a law firm like all of these people have accomplished great things lynn has five college degrees and you know um i won't get into it i won't stay on it for too long but girlfriends is phenomenal and it was wasn't appreciated by the networks nearly as much as it should have been because you know black art doesn't get appreciated it just gets consumed um but moving on to class action park so um i watched a documentary on hbo max that was stealing my attention for a while because i saw advertisements about it and i didn't take the time out to watch it until I had some free time on my hand. And that was, um, class action park. And this documentary is about a water park in New Jersey from the seventies. That was basically ruleless. Um, I want to say that, ah, I'm going to look up the name. First of all, the name of the actual park is called action park. Um, it's quite interesting to see like documents and stuff about it um because i didn't hear about that at all when i was a kid growing up and not to say i should have because i didn't grow up in the 70s i i grew up in an, i was born in the 90s uh but still you know to have something in your backyard like that is and not hear about it until you're almost 30 years old is um pretty wild so yeah action park was uh opened in the 70s uh in vernon in vernon township new jersey and this was basically by some nutty white man who you know what i mean eccentric and there's always some eccentric crazy white man behind these these types of ideas but essentially it was um action park was this water park that didn't really have any rules like you know how you go to a water park like six flags or donny park and uh they say like oh well you gotta wait until uh the person you gotta wait until the person's a little bit further down like the lazy river or something like that so you don't run into them or like you can't run on the concrete or like there's consistent overwatch of who is in the wave pool uh, none of these things existed at Action Park. Uh, it was essentially a, a summer uh, water park that was ran by children. If you stayed there for more than a couple of years, you would move up into some executive role or they would give you some executive role. I don't know about how the pay was. They didn't really speak about that too much. But um, 
yeah there were, it, it was just an ecosystem of danger like people would go there and get bruised up uh break limbs i think five people died at that park over the course of 10 years which is insane insane this is a non-franchised theme park uh in new jersey and i know that the 70s was a wild time but like i don't know whatever and this is also mostly like a white thing i watched this documentary and i actively looked for the black people in the documentary and i saw none so this is probably just a case of one of those situations where uh, earlier in the history of our state where you know people were more racist obviously because of the time that it was and black people didn't get to enjoy the things that everybody else did but there's definitely like a whole ecosystem of people that exist who know about this park and that went to this park and experienced it and even worked there um that tell that give you full in-depth information about the things that are going on and the rides at this park were crazy like there's literally a looped tube uh slide at this park where you literally sitting in a dark tube uh that's filled with water so you slide down and then you go into a loop all in the dark like and then they they were talking about how uh people's teeth were getting uh sucked out of that well not sucked out of their mouth but people's teeth were getting stuck at the top of the loop because they would go up the loop so quickly and hit their faces and people would come out with broken noses and bloody faces and things like that but i don't want to ruin the film because it actually really is good and it's really insightful in terms of um how no oversight can uh cause super damage in people's personal lives and families and in terms of business and how money is um you know, essentially what makes the world go around because even after a certain point, people knew that this park was very dangerous. And because of the money that it brought to the economy, the surrounding economy, um, people would just, well, politicians would just allow it to keep, to stay open and, and running, even though people were dying at this park. Like two people died in the wave pool. That is insane. Um, but when the founder of this park died, uh, which was in just this past decade in 2012, Chris Christie, who was governor at the time, spoke about how his enormous contribution to the economy and yada, yada, yada. So no matter how despicable you are, if you're giving pumping money into the community, then your government officials will show you love when you pass away. Um, and I think that I'll end that segment on that note. But yeah, go watch Class Action Park on HBO Max because it was, actually was pretty good. Now, getting into The Boys, which is on Amazon Prime. Um, I just wrapped up the final episode of The Boys earlier before recording this episode. And man, um, I know a lot of people, a lot of people of color especially, don't like this show. Um, there are a lot of things that there are a lot of things about this show that I could understand that people don't like uh, or wouldn't like or wouldn't like want to tack on to. Um, so I'll just I'll start there. Uh, the Boys is a series on Amazon Prime that's basically like what if superheroes were celebrities that were like ain't shit, basically, that just did whatever they wanted and got away with it because they all worked for a super mega conglomerate that had billions of dollars to spend on good PR for their product. And that's basically how it runs. 
Um, that's diff- That's basically the underlying uh, premise to the sh- to the series, and it is thoroughly entertaining. And I think that the production quality is exactly where it needs to be to tell a story like this. But the thing that the thing about the show that I could see a lot of people not liking is the trope of like the evil superhero. So it's like not even the super villain, but the evil superhero. So like the guy who saves the world, but isn't a good person. And, um, I think that we're getting to this place in superhero content in terms of television and film where we're trying to divert the expectations of the audience by trying new ideas. And this was definitely something that I feel like is necessary within um, within the culture of superhero films and television. However, I think that as the series goes on, you kind of have to shift towards different ideas because it starts to get a little old by the end of the second uh, the end of the second season. And it doesn't necessarily take away from the plot or the writing or the acting. However, uh, I can acknowledge something, especially when I go and read other reviews from other people and they speak about these things because, you know, you put it into perspective. Um but like I said before, the quality of the series is fantastic. Um, I think that everybody does what they need to do in terms of production, acting, and writing. Um, I think that this season specifically in terms of what they deal with in terms of race and stuff like that is a little, they get a, they go a little off the rails in terms of how they want the character of Stormfront to be portrayed because it's based off of a superhero that's quite literally a Nazi in the comics. And um, that's another thing about the series is that it's far better. uh, Well, a lot of people have said that it's far better than the comics, the comics, which is kind of more shock value than um, critical commentary through the lens of fantasy and science fiction. And, um, we focus on this character Stormfront who gets changed for the series, um, not in the fact that she's not a Nazi because she is, but that's revealed. Spoiler, spoiler alert. Sorry, guys. But um, I think that what's most important about her character is that it reflects the times that we are in. And I think that's very poignant, especially um, seeing that there's no way that these guys could have known how this year was going to go when they were filming this. So the fact that it was released and they're kind of like right on the nose in terms of the type, the type of um, stuff we're living with in 2020 and everything like that is very interesting. And um, I'm very curious to see how this series evolves in the future. We're going to go ahead and wrap up television with love craft country so if you guys have been listening to the series you know that i really wasn't gonna watch this show um from weekly i wasn't gonna watch the show weekly with everyone else um just because it didn't seem like a premise that necessarily enticed me too much uh i don't like the realm of magic and everything like that not to say that it can't be done properly but it just isn't my thing but I do feel the obligation to support black media and uh, black content within the entertainment industry, especially since we ain't getting too much else from anywhere else. So why pass up on a black show, on a black show, right? But um, I did end up getting into it. I did end up catching up and watching it weekly with the rest of social media. 
and uh, the series finale you will have watched now if if you're listening to this um, most likely um, but it, because it airs when I'm recording the day I'm recording this uh, but this show is really good you know like I have a lot of things to say about it in terms of how uh, linear the storyline is because it isn't really that uh, by any means but it doesn't take away from the quality of the show you would think that by the time you would think that by how all over the place this series is or this first season has been it would take away from the overall message of the show and it hasn't done that at all and I really admire what it's done up to this point um I'm curious to see how the series will end how the season will end uh this year because of how much it jumps around but the show is fantastic it's well written it always manages to sneak in a lesson about black consciousness and about black culture and ties it in with such a modern twist and i love the show for that and it's more science fiction than simply magic based i don't i don't want to keep it confined to a box but um this show is really good you know so if you haven't seen it yet you know give it a shot it's wrapping up today so you'll be able to watch it all the way through and um i think that it's you know at least worth at least one watch um i'm curious to know i'm curious to get into curious to know what's next for hbo in terms of uh black shows but that's for another time Oh, um, and yeah, and that's pretty much it on Lovecraft Country. And that's enough said I was done, but I actually do want to talk about one more show uh, that I just started watching, which is Fargo on Hulu. Um, because when I was in Seattle, I watched the film, the original film, Fargo, which was fantastic. And I love when I end up choosing to watch something that is highly regarded. Uh, on my own time and I thoroughly enjoy it so I decided to watch the series Fargo based off of how I felt about the film and I know that Chris Rock is in the current season of the show so I was like why not so it's an anthology crime series based off the premise of the movie um, not that is directly tied not that direct they're they are directly tied to each other but they definitely are um, related and I think that people should check it out because it's pretty good. And I like crime, drama, mystery, up that alley. And yeah, I'm curious to see how, I'm still on the first season, by the way, but I'm curious to see how everything is going to turn out within this first season. So, all right, y'all. And we just going to wrap up with my trip to Seattle, which I didn't think that I'd be <clears throat> still recording at this time, but you know, whatever. Um, so Seattle was amazing, you know, and the reason that I decided to go there, um, as opposed to anywhere else or somewhere warm or anything like that was because, well, first and foremost, I wanted to go somewhere on that wasn't on the restricted list of that Phil Murphy, our governor, the New Jersey governor, excuse me, released, um, about a month or so ago before I booked the trip 
and Seattle, Washington wasn't on the restricted list in terms of states that you would have to quarantine when you got back. So that played a part into my decision in addition to um, where marijuana was legal. And because I initially I was going to make the decision to go to Denver, but um, in Portland was on was on one of the uh, states that I was deciding to uh, deciding whether to go to or one of the cities, excuse me, that I was deciding to go to. And I ended up on Portland. <clears throat> I mean, I ended up on Seattle, excuse me. Um, it just made the most sense. So I took my flight credit and I found a cheap Airbnb. And I took my ass to Washington and took myself across the country to go hang out for a weekend. And I couldn't have had a better trip, to be honest. I think that the only thing that would have made my trip better than it actually was, was if I was able to go to a Seahawks game. That's pretty much it. And Seahawks aren't having, they don't have any audiences for their games um, in the league right now. So it would have, it wouldn't have been possible regardless. Uh, the food was really good. I'll say I had, um, the first day I, the, the first day I was there, I had some steak tacos across from the reef, <clears throat> the first dispensary that I chose to go to. The steak tacos were amazing. Um, I forget the name of the shop though, but if you are from Seattle and you know where the reef is, you know where that taco shop is. Uh, Later that night, I believe that, what did I eat later that day? I think that, oh, I know what I did. Oh, no, 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 that was a Saturday, excuse me. But yeah, I didn't eat much the first day because I got there like in the afternoon and stuff like that. So I had those tacos and then I forget what I ate later that night. <clears throat> Saturday, I got up um, pretty early, earlier than I expected to get up and um, I bought a bunch of bud. That's first and foremost. So I had to figure out how I was going to pace myself in terms of like eating, um, eating the edibles and smoking the pre-rolls and rolling up all the bud that I was buying and stuff like that. And, um, I basically spent all Saturday just, just smoking. Um, so just to run it back really quickly to Friday, Friday, the first day I went to the reef, like I said, and I copped an eighth and some edibles. <clears throat> I ate about five of the edibles because it were like these sour, these sour gummy candies that were like 10 milligram a pop. And they, um, they came in like a pack of 10 and, uh, it was really good and I was high. <sighs> Uh, and the blunts that I rolled were um, definitely sufficed <clears throat> for the trip. Now, going back to Saturday, Saturday, I went to the pot shop um, and I copped a couple pre-rolls. I, I copped some uh, Granddaddy Perp and some Critical Kush, and some Durban Poison and um, some Donny Boy. Donny Boy was a... Uh, indica dominant hybrid and the first day on friday i copped some icicles which was a mix between white sherbet and jet fuel something i forget I, maybe just jet i forget and um yeah 
So Saturday, I basically just spent the day smoking the pre-rolls that I had because the granddaddy burp uh, came in two one gram free rolls as did the critical kush and the derp and poison joint that I had was a whopping two grams. Um, so I was pretty high the whole day Saturday and, um, Saturday I is probably one of my, I can't say that it was the, the best day, but it was definitely a great day because I went and tried, um, Pike Place's uh, famous chowder, which was amazing. I also had one of their lobster rolls, which was fantastic. Uh, I rode around the city on my bike as I did on Friday. And I ended up going back to the B&B a little bit early just because I was so high um, from like trying to keep up and keep up in terms of the schedule of how I was going to pace out eating uh, eating these edibles and smoking his bud and shit like that. Um, so I went back to my B&B, I fell asleep and I woke up later that night and, it, uh, from a weed coma and I basically just smoked the rest of my pre-rolls including that two gram Durban poison joint, which pretty much put me out to sleep, put me out for the rest of that night. And then Sunday, Sunday was the day. Oh, and on Saturday I went to the museum of pop culture, which, excuse me, hang on. Which wasn't all that eventful. I'm not gonna lie. It looked it looks good, but um, and they have a really good Jimi Hendrix exhibit. But all in all, it wasn't probably worth the twenty seven dollars that I paid to get in. But regardless of the fact, um, I still enjoyed it. Enjoyed the experience. I probably just would never go again. And Sunday, I linked with one of my frat brothers. Shout out to Sasha. I should have shouted you out in the beginning of the episode. But shout out to Sasha and uh, JL for giving me a tour of the Space Needle um, and the revolving the revolving floor within the Space Needle. Uh, the view was amazing from the top of that thing. Uh, I learned a lot. Of, I learned a lot about the structure. Like the fact that it was only built in the 60s, so it hasn't even been around for that long. Uh, and, you know, just seeing where the B&B was from where I wasn't at the Space Needle, I could see the house like straightforward from there. And, you know, you can see a lot from from that high up in the sky. So it was a really incredible experience being that high up and being able to tour that uh, monument. And it was a great experience. Later that day, we went to uh, we went through this garden. I forget the name of it. That was also connected to the. Uh, oh no! I th- no, never mind. Excuse me. I was gonna say it's connected to the Space Needle, but it wasn't. Uh, but I went to this garden where I saw a bunch of art, and it was really cool. And oh, it was connected to the um, Seattle Art Museum, but I didn't get to go to the actual museum. Um. And later after that, we went to the bar bar where I had some amazing, amazing, amazing Japanese, uh, not Japanese, excuse me. I believe it was a uh, Vietnamese uh, pho. I had some oxtail pho. It was out of this world, man. Like fantastic. I can't even really get into how good it was for real. But um, overall, the trip was fantastic. 
I tell you about this trip just to tell you that if you have any reservations about taking a trip on your own or traveling and stuff like that, man, just go for it. Like the times that we're living in, you don't really know what's going to be thrown at us next. So you should go ahead and try to cross off the uh, things on your list as soon as you can and live that life that you've been trying to live, but also do it responsibly. You know what I mean? Um, I think that we have an obligation to make ourselves happy, but we also have an obligation to be responsible. So it's about balancing that out and finding that balance in life. And I think that moving forward, I'll be doing more solo trips just because, um, not to say that I don't want to travel with anyone, but I think that I can still, I can still find the ability to completely enjoy myself without the need for the need of having someone with me. And that's um, a pretty phenomenal thing once you realize that about yourself. And not everyone's like that. Um, and I think that's pretty much it. You know, like it was a really eye opening experience. And it also opened my eyes to the types of content that I want to bring to the podcast. One more thing in terms of food, I bought. I went to Fats Chicken and Waffles. Shout out to Fats Chicken and Waffles in Seattle. Um, they're a black-owned business, and I had their chicken and waffles, and I had their shrimp and grits, which were fantastic. So shout out to you guys. And yeah, you know, I just wanted to talk about that with you guys because I want you guys to know that there's shit out there for us to experience in the world, and um, yeah. And if you guys aren't able to experience it, then if you check in here, you'll be able to experience it vicariously through me. And I think that that's where I'll wrap up the episode for today. So as always, send topics, questions, music and movie suggestions. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at VS Mike History and on Instagram at Versus Mike History. And you can follow me, your boy, at Mike History on Twitter and last name history on Instagram. I will see you guys next week.